0: Proverbs chapter 31, Proverbs 31, I haven't preached on this in many years because it's so familiar It's read often at funerals and various occasions where uh, we want to honor women. But such an appropriate text for Mother's Day. Now today I start a new series of messages, just finished one, but I'm going into another one and they're somewhat similar because I'm really trying to preach messages that are very, very relevant, as cutting edge as I know how, dealing with the cultural issues of today. Martin Luther said that the greatest need is for the preacher to preach about what's happening in the world, what is relevant, what is active. I can preach a message and nobody will get happy and nobody will get mad, nobody will get anything. Just a lot of content but to preach on the issues of where the battle rages, Martin Luther said. Preach where the battle rages. He said, well, that's where the preacher needs to be. Well, the battle is raging in the very issues I've been preaching on, and it will continue to. In fact, in my opinion, it will probably grow. So the series will be called the biblical family in an upside down world. We put it on the front of your program there. Look at that. Stop a moment and look at your program. I hope you noticed it. The world is upside down and the family's looking at it. And uh, would you not agree? It's, the, the first series said it's a crazy world. This one says it's upside down. But The point has got to be made and made strongly. It is not a biblical worldview in any way. And today, I'm preaching specifically to the women. Now, if you look on the corner of that, you see that next week the subject will be the family. What the Bible says about having a biblical family. Boy, I hope every family, particularly every young family will be here. And then the next week, I forgot I don't have the copy of it up here with me, But uh, we'll be talking about the family next week, and then one week we'll talk about what the Bible says about your finances. One week, I think it will be the one that you will be most interested in, the tech-savvy family. What is technology doing to our families? What is technology doing to our children? Both a blessing and a curse. And we will deal with, with that from a biblical standpoint. So lots of things there that I'm trying to teach from God's Word that will help you. Now today, I want to talk to you about the nasty woman. The nasty or the virtuous woman. And I hope today you will really listen. Do you remember back during the political campaign? There was a debate going on between now President Donald Trump and candidate Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton was going on explaining her position on something. I don't know. I think it might have been Social Security or something like that. And Donald Trump leaned into the microphone and said, "She's a nasty woman." <laughs> Do you remember that moment? And, uh, and I'm not passing judgments on. That wasn't very sensitive but our president is not known for being sensitive either, is he? She's a nasty woman. Well, it kind of blew up in his face and sort of backfired on President Trump because he tweeted it out the next morning, Hillary Clinton is a nasty woman. But uh, the women's movement now and the feminist movements, they picked up that uh, mantra, if you will, And they organized a a march in Washington right after, two days after the inauguration, inauguration, I believe. And uh, thousands and thousands of women came. And I watched the news account of that and the signs were, I've never seen such obscenity, such vulgarity, vulgarity. I've never seen such distaste. I don't even know how to describe it You couldn't let your children look at the signs these women were carrying in that march. And there were tens of thousands of them. And then uh, they were just filthy and vile and angry. And then Madonna stood up and she said, I'm ready to go burn the White House down. Which, um, if I said that here this morning, and put it on television, I'd probably have some visits from some Secret Service guys, you know, or something. But she got away with it, and then they brought up Ashley Judd. I didn't even know who Ashley Judd was. And she's apparently an actress and an activist for women's causes. And somebody had written a poem, a high school girl over in Kentucky, I think, or Tennessee, and had sent it to her. It was really not a poem. It was more like a reading. And so she said, I'm going to read this unbelievably from a high school girl. And Ashley Judd started out like this. I am a nasty woman. And she emphasized, drew out the nasty part of it there. I am a nasty woman. And then she went into about a 15 or 20-minute speech, which I watched. It was an angry, expletive-filled rant tirade against men in general. And I was sitting there, my my wife and I were watching it. My first reaction was just absolute shock. Now, you wouldn't think I'd be naive after 47 years pastoring a church, would you? You know what I said to my wife? I've never heard a woman talk like that before. At my age, I've never heard a woman talk like that. I really haven't. You see, back when I went to, college, even at the University of South Carolina. Now, I knew how we guys talked, but the girls didn't talk like that, or if they did, they didn't talk like that around us, or they didn't talk like that around me. I don't know what it was, but I just never heard that vow, vow, every filthy word you can use and used over and over and over and over repetitively. I was shocked. My analysis was I wonder what happened to that young lady. What has occurred in her life that would cause her to be that bitter and that angry? That was my analysis of it. My conclusion was, this nation I know is divided racially. It's divided economically. But I didn't know we were divided between the men and the women until today. But there obviously is a division that I was not even... Cognizant of a gender division. And so when I began to think about Mother's Day, I thought that women's movement rally where I heard that, that speech by Ashley Judd is a very teachable moment for Christian because her speech gives me a great insight into the mind and the thinking of a certain segment of women today in our society. In the book of Proverbs chapter 1, we don't see a nasty woman. We see a virtuous woman. The virtuous woman. Do you have your Bible? I want you to open it with me. Normally I have you stand with me as I read, but rather than reading a long passage, I'm just going to go through it with you and give some explanation as we read it together. We begin in verse number 1. The words of King Lemuel, who was King Lemuel? There's not a king listed in all the Old Testament called Lemuel, who is King Lemuel? All the rabbis and scholars and Jewish historians tell us that Lemuel was the name that Solomon's mother referred to him by. So Lemuel, King Lemuel is King Solomon, we have good reason to believe from other records. And so his mother is talking to him, the king, and she's prophesying, not talking about the future, but she's speaking truth to him, words that his mother taught him. And she goes down through, and it's very practical. It starts out talking about men. For example, in verse 3, she says, don't give your strength to women. In other words, don't live a lustful, promiscuous lifestyle. Now, he violated that, didn't he? We know that he really did. He was one of the most promiscuous men uh, mentioned in the Scripture. And down in verse number 4, she tells him not to drink wine. She says, because you've got to make judgments, and people who need to make discernment and judgments and be wise, they don't need to be drinkers of alcohol. And so she goes on. But down in verse number 10, then, we have a change in the subject matter, a paragraph, if you will, and we begin to talk about women, virtuous women. And I want you to look at that word virtuous with me. Draw your little circle around that in your Bible, ladies, especially, but everyone. Draw your little line out there where you can write. What does it mean to be virtuous? The word virtuous means to have high moral standards, Goodness, to be good in the the true sense, the biblical sense of that, or to be righteous. It's really God's ideal woman that we're talking about here. God's ideal woman and God's ideal for women and mothers is that they be virtuous women. Now, the Hebrew word there for virtuous actually has a little bit more involved in it. If you'll study that, you'll find out that it means that the woman is to have strength and she's to have power. She's not some little weakling, some little frail person who can't make it on her own. She's a woman of strength and personal power, but she's a woman of the very highest morality of righteousness and of goodness in her life. It's characterized by that. Now, let's go down to verse 10 and read verse 10, 11, and 12 together. Who can find a virtuous woman? A woman with a righteous, high moral standard, strong woman. Her price is far above rubies. In those days, rubies were the very finest uh, possession you could have. In fact, rubies in the Bible were valued more than gold throughout much of biblical history. And so in verse number 10, her price is far, her value is far above even gold or rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. And she will do him good and not evil all the days of his life. Now look at what it says here. She is valuable, more than rubies and more than gold in that culture. And her husband trusts in her. Circle that word trust there. She is a trustworthy woman. The virtuous woman is trustworthy. Trustworthiness means that there is integrity. And her husband, her children, her church, Her community value a woman with these kinds of character qualities. And look especially at verse number 12. Men, I want you to look at that. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. And that's a virtuous woman. A husband can look at her and he can truthfully say, oh, she does me good. My life would not be the same were it not for her. In verse 13, Pick up the reading, she seeketh wool and flax, and she worketh diligently with her hands. She's like the merchant's ships, she bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and she giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. And so in verses 13 and 15, it describes the varied activities of a wife and a mother, When I joked a while ago and said, we sung that song because it says we're gonna sit down and rest a little while, we all know most mothers are very, very busy people, especially in our world of today. And they carry out this multiplicity of activities, varied activities, if you will. And notice she does a number of different things here. First of all, uh, somebody said, and I remember here reading it the other day, said, How do you spell mother? How do you spell mother? And the quote was like this: a mother is a chauffeur, a maid, a cook, a referee if you have more than one child, a philosopher, a hostess, a tutor, a nurse, a psychiatrist. She's all of the above. She's carrying on many, many activities to keep a household together. And you know what is so sad? Now listen to me, ladies, women, men. Well, listen to everybody. In our culture today, we have so devalued the wife and the mother. Our young women are taught that if you don't have a career, you're something less than you could be. What a tragedy. The highest career, young ladies, you could ever, ever aspire to is that you would be a wife and a mother. I asked one of our students the other day, I said, Does anybody in our Christian school ever say anything about being a wife or a mother? Or is it all about where I'm going to school and what I'm going to major in? And basically said, It's all where I'm going to go to school and what we're going to major in. Let me try to shape a little bit of thinking. There's nothing you can major in that would be greater than having a PhD in WIFE and mother. There's no, that's the highest calling that a, a woman can have. You know who's C.S. Lewis, known as a Christian philosopher and an extremely wise man. He's been dead for 60, 70 years. And in spite of that, his books are among the best-read books that you can find anywhere in the world today. C.S. Lewis said this, quote, The homemaker has the ultimate career. All other careers exist for one purpose only, to support the ultimate career. In other words, he elevated motherhood and womanhood and wifehood, if you will, and he says, it's the ultimate career. Now, I'm not saying that you should never work a job. Don't, don't read into it more. than Don't you go beyond what I'm, where I'm going. But I'm telling you, the wife and the mother, who is a virtuous woman, in my opinion, is miles ahead of the woman who's the CEO down at the bank. Because it's a God-ordained position, and the culture cannot survive without it. The culture cannot survive about it. I read this week a bunch of quotes and I I excluded them from the message. I didn't have time, but it was from George Washington. It was from Thomas Jefferson. It was from Abraham Lincoln. It was from Winston Churchill. And all of them talked about their mothers and how their mothers had made them and shaped them. And I promise you, where you see a great and a good man, you will find a godly, virtuous mother and woman behind him. Verse 15 talks about her preparing food for her household. A lot of the rabbis and the Old Testament scholars say that that food is spiritual food. In other words, she gets up early in the morning. She riseth while it's still night and she gives food to her household and a portion to her maidens, meaning she spends time with God. She begins the day with the Bible in her lap. The food there encompasses the idea of spiritual food. Verses 16 through 19. Let's continue. She considereth the field and buyeth it. She's in the real estate business at least part time. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and she strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, and her candle goeth not out by night. She works into the night. A lot of mothers know what I'm talking about there, don't you? And she layeth her hands to the spindle, she's sewing, and her hands to hold the distaff. And so this woman is knowledgeable of business affairs. Knowledge of business affairs. Go down to verse number 24. She makes fine linen, selleth it, and she delivereth girdles unto the merchant. And so she not only is a wife, and she not only is a mother, but she's knowledgeable. She's wise in business affairs, even buying and selling property and making the clothing for her children and selling uh, uh, garments that she has made. Look in verse 20. She's generous to the poor. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. And so this is a woman of generosity because as a virtuous woman, she's full of righteousness and goodness. And go down... To verse 21, she is not afraid of the snow for her household. And her, all of her household will be clothed with scarlet. Now, in Israel, it didn't snow a lot. A snow would be a very rare occurrence. And so the idea is she is always prepared. She's prepared for her family. The inference is, She's prepared even warm clothes for her entire household. So when the snow falls on those rare occasions, she's got her family uh, provided for. So she cares for her family, verse number 21. And then in verse number 22, she is attractive. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. And so this woman is interested in dressing beautifully as nicely as she can for her husband and for those who know her. She is attractive in her appearance. And she's attractive not only on the inside, she's attractive as well on the outside. She has inner beauty that attracts people to her. And she dresses well. This is not some woman going around slovenly looking. This is a woman who is a lady. She's a fine lady. She's a sophisticated lady. She dresses in silk and in purple, the color of royalty. In verse number 23 through 25, she's a wife. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. And in verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come, and so it's telling me there that it says that her husband is what he is because she's helped make the man here, and uh, we go down to verse number twenty-seven. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her husband rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Have you seen several times in verse 27 there, she eateth not the bread of idleness and she gets up early in the morning and her candle burns into the night. She's not a lazy person. She's not laying around the house, you know, watching television. She is working always for the benefit of her family and of her husband. In verse number 26, I skipped over that one, but notice her speech she openeth her mouth with wisdom. And so her speech is characterized by wisdom and her tongue is characterized by kindness. She's not the shrew. You know, Shakespeare wrote about the shrew, the woman who was a shrew. And he meant by that that she was harsh and she yelled at her husband, she yelled at her kids and she spoke sharply to people and, and her tongue was always biting people Well, this woman, her speech is characterized by her wisdom and by her kindness. In verse 27 and 8, her husband and her family are her priorities. Reward comes to her from her marriage and her family. She doesn't have to go outside that to feel fulfilled in her life. And in verse number 29, Many daughters have done virtuously. But this woman excels them all. She's God's ideal. And then one of the great verses here, ladies, this ought to be marked in your Bible, underlined, maybe memorized. Favor is deceitful. Beauty is vain. Oh my, beauty is vain. And I go and I see these magazines stacked up this high. On how to put on your makeup and how to pluck your eyebrows and how to comb your hair and how to fix your dress and how many women's magazines are there in the nation today telling women to put the focus on the outward appearance now nothing wrong with that i want you to look good here you know i every barn looks better with a little paint on it we want you to dress up. We want you to look well, but the Bible says that's not the primary, that's not the priority. That's not the priority. The priority is that you be beautiful on the inside. And if you put your emphasis on favor, popularity, people accepting you on their terms, and if you put your emphasis on just being outwardly beautiful, then you're going to live your life in vain. But a woman that fears the Lord, there's the fear of the Lord. That's, and by the way, in the Old Testament, that's the equivalent of salvation. A woman who focuses on her salvation, her relationship to the Lord, she should be praised. And so the greatest value is not popularity and it's not outward appearance. The greatest value is, is to know the Lord now you think about those words women, I challenge you to really study that passage of scripture. If you do, you will think like a biblical woman you'll have a biblical woman's uh, worldview. If you will master that chapter right there, that is those are life-changing words that's God's ideal woman and it is not the caricature that you're hearing today that's not what Ashley Judd was talking about and representing that day the virtuous woman so let's look at women a little bit more closely here go to the book of Genesis chapter number 1 with me if you will let's quickly go through God's creation and why he brought women onto the scene because he'd already created Adam as you know God created Adam, and then later he created Eve. We don't know how much later. Long enough for him to get lonely. And in chapter number one of the book of Genesis, over and over and over, you'll see phrases where it says that God saw salt was good. I think about seven times. Every time God created something, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Verse 25 says it's good. And and you go down to verse uh, 28, and or 30, and it says it's good. Over and over, God says everything that he's created is, is good, he even said it's very good in one place. And then we go down to chapter two and verse number 18, and notice what he said. He said, it's not good, it's not good. What was he talking about? The very first negative in the Bible is in Genesis 2 and 18. Everything's positive up to there. The very first negative, Genesis 2 and 18, He says, it's not good. What is not good? It's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good for a man to be alone. There was something lacking in Adam's life. Even though he had wonderful communion with God and God had given him dominion over the whole world, there's something missing. And every one of us men who would be honest would tell you that Without our wives, something is missing. My wife said, joked with me. She said, Bill, if I died, you'd be looking around under the funeral tent while you were burying me. <laughs> I don't think I would. I don't think I would. I think I'd be missing her so badly, I would wonder my life would be so empty. She is so much a part of me. I don't know. I, I, I would have a hard time uh, Maneuvering through life Because we've been married now As you know 50 years I don't know I, I don't know what I would do Without her It's not good for the man to be alone So God made the woman You know the story there And he named her Eve Do you know what the word Eve means? Ladies write that down somewhere Life giver Eve's name means She was capable Of giving life I'm not capable of giving life No man can give life Only you women have that wonderful Noble, supreme gift You can bring life into this world And so God made the woman He named her Eve The life giver Why did He make her? He made her to correspond with Adam to complement Adam, if you will, to complete him, because God said it's not good for him. The human race needs both man and woman to be complete, and we need each other. So God saw that in, in the very first generation of human life. He made the man, he said it's not good that he be alone, he needs to be completed by having a a wife. Genesis 1 and 27. And after he made her, in verse 27, he married them. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And I'm looking for the verse and I wrote it down wrong where it says he made them male and female. I guess that's back somewhere there. 127 I wrote it down wrong God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him Male and female created he them Now lean forward on your chair right now And listen really really close Put up all your cell phones and Your notes and whatever you're doing Lean forward and listen to me I want to whisper something in your ear I want you to get it. Everybody ready? Men and women are not the same. They're not the same. Big difference. And I like the differences, don't you? Men and women are not the same. And yet we've got a culture trying to tell us That they are the same. The big word for it is egalitarianism from equal. Everybody's so equal now that nobody can do anything. Who do you think is superior in this audience today? Men or women? You're afraid to say, aren't you? I'll tell you who is superior. Man is superior. At being a man and women are superior at being women the answer is who is superior men or women the answer is yes the answer is yes isn't it and God made them different and somebody described them like this it compared and contrasted the differences between men and women men and women the differences The beauty and the beast. Who do you think is the beauty? (laughs) And who is the beast? (laughs) Here's another comparison. The tortoise and the hare. We men always running off and doing all these things and the wives are sort of plodding along and saying, now be, you know, watch out what you're doing. The romantic and the mechanic. I like that one, don't you? The romantic, my wife and the mechanic, I'll fix that. The radar and the computer. The radar just senses stuff out there and the computer, very logical, going through its program. The lover and the achiever. Different ways that people have described them. Somebody said it like this. Porcelain is not as strong as steel, but it's not inferior to steel either. Porcelain is beautiful, and it's strong, and steel has a whole different thing. The point is God made them different. Now, listen again. He made them different so he could make them one. He made them different so he could make them one. And over here it says God married them and he said to them, he said "Out in verse 24 of chapter two, they shall be one flesh. What does that one flesh relationship refer to? One flesh refers to the, the totality of their being. That they could be one physically. That they could be one emotionally. That they could be one. The closest possible union you can, you can imagine. You've heard people say that after people lived together for years and years, they... they um, They begin to look alike. I don't know if that's true, but I know this. They begin to think alike. And it's amazing, my wife and I, after all these years, we can kind of anticipate each other. And she knows what I'm going to say before I say it. And sometimes it's the same is true with me. Because we have grown to a unity physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. One flesh, the closest possible relationship Now, look at the front of your program again. Let me use that again. And here's the family looking out here at the world, and the world is all upside down. I tell you, you know I'm telling you the truth. It is really upside down this morning. I'll tell you how confused we are. Our society is so morally confused, we don't even know which bathroom we're supposed to go to now. Pretty simple, huh? But now we have to have a debate about that and a lawsuit and legislation to figure out whether a man ought to go to the men's room or the women's room. An upside down world. Yesterday on the internet, on the, uh, I guess, NBC or whatever it is, Microsoft, NBC, There was a headline, and I looked it up. I couldn't believe it. I thought, my, it's just helping me preach. It said, it showed a picture of what appeared to be a man and a boy. Or it was a, 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 well, I don't know what it was. It was so confused. Because the headline was, meet the father, who was the mother, and the daughter, who was the son. And this is serious news. This is not exotica. This is serious news. Meet the father who was the mother and the daughter who was the son. They tell me it's taboo to speak of manhood and woman in any fixed way because gender is fluid. Fluid. Facebook today has 51 different definitions of gender that you can look up on Facebook. 51. How do you take two and make it 51? I guess you multiply it by 20 something. (laughs) I don't know. Let me show you a verse in the Bible that God made them male and female. Deuteronomy chapter number five. Deuteronomy 22 and five. And God made them male and female. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, Christian. You want to think biblically? God made them male and female, meaning God demands gender distinction. God demands and commands gender distinction. And so in Deuteronomy 22 and 5, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, and neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, and all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Do you know what the word abomination means? The word abomination means to be morally abhorrent and disgusting. To be morally disgusting. Now you say that was the Old Testament, but there's a principle here. That was not a part of the ceremonial law. That's a part of the moral law. Abomination is a moral issue. Preachers, sometimes we ought to do a little more reading and study. I've heard preachers preach against women wearing slacks. In the days of the Bible, men and women both wore robes. They didn't wear pants. There wasn't a pair of pants in all of Israel. Putting a seam up the middle of them didn't make them good or bad. But here's what he's saying: they wore these robe-like affairs but the embroidery on them, the decorations on them, the color on them, all of those things designated whether they were male or female. You could see somebody coming 100 yards away and you knew by his clothing whether it was male or female. And God said, this is important. He says it more than once in Scripture because it's important that there be a distinction between male and female in a society. And when we lose that... God says, it's an abomination. It's an abomination. Quickly and lastly, does God have a message for women this morning? He sure does. I'm not even going to ask you to turn there because my time is gone. But in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, ladies, if you're serious about this, you may want to write some of these down. 1 Timothy 2, and then again in Titus 2, and in 1 Peter 3, God has scripture there that's directly and specifically addressed to women. You want to know what God's word says in the New Testament about women and mothers? Here's a summary of it. I'll just tell you what it is. I'm just going to read them. Six different points. I read all three passages and then tried to sort of summarize it and make it simple today. Number one, dress modestly and decently don't dress for the attention of men. The world will tell you to. It'll tell you to go out there and be seductive in your demeanor. God's over and over in those passages, he emphasizes don't dress for the attention of men, but focus on a godly character in your life. Number two, he talks about our demeanor. And he says that women should be noted for their reverence and their respect for God. And for their husbands and their children and, and for their loved ones and thirdly all three scriptures address their speech and two of the chapters say don't be a slanderer don't talk about people to cut them down practice kindness practice self-control be discreet exercise good judgment before you open your mouth The fourth thing the scriptures talk about for women today is to focus on loving your husband and your children. Make them priority in your life. And number five, now, don't throw anything at me. Be a good housekeeper. You can look them up. And I begin to study. Why would God say that? Because the home is the place of order. And if the home is clean and neat, there's order in life. There's so much chaos in everything else. You wouldn't think God would talk about housekeeping, but he says, be a good housekeeper, create order in your life. And number six, he says, accept the leadership of your husband as the head of your family. You might be the CEO of Exxon, but at home, your husband, God says, is to be the spiritual leader of that family, and that's his role in that family's life. God's ideal for women, virtuous, noble, attractive, knowledgeable and wise, much to be admired, God's ideal of godly women. And I'm gonna tell you today, thousands of experts agree with me. The world is upside down because our families are upside down. This week I read where a leading authority said these words. When the history of America is finally written, the thing that will have brought us down is the breakup and fall of the family in american life more than the politics and more than the economics the family is god's foundation of a society ladies god's ideal aspire to it pray to be that read it over and over in your bible ask god to help you develop those qualities of the virtuous woman, and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.